Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 17, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. Let's hear the word of God. Ezekiel 17, verses 1 to 10. We'll read from verse 1. Let's hear God's precious word. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, A great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had divers colors, came unto Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. He chopped off the top of his young twigs and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree, and it grew, and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him, and the roots thereof were under him. So it became a vine, and brought forth branches, and shot forth sprigs. There was also another great eagle with great wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine did bend her roots toward him, and shoot forth her branches toward him, that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters, that it might bring forth branches, and that it might bear fruit, that it might be a goodly vine. Say thou, thus saith the Lord God, shall it prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof, and cut off the fruit thereof, that it wither. It shall wither in all the leaves of her spring, even without great power or many people to pluck it up by the roots thereof. Yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither when the east wind toucheth it? It shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own and and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, my text is found in Ezekiel chapter 17 and the verse 5. It says, He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree, and it grew, verse 6 says, and became a spreading vine of low stature. Now, I've entitled this message, Blooming Where You Are Planted. Thursday morning at Little Tots, during the tea, with all the ladies around the table, one of the ladies decided that we needed cheering up. 
So she proceeded to read out her morning devotion. And the title of that devotion was Bloom, Where You're Planted. It included a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She was the wife of the late Jim Elliot, a missionary that was murdered by the Inca Indians in Papua New Guinea in the 1950s. And this was the quotation. This job has been given me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I may make to God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly if it is to be done for him here, not somewhere else, that I may learn God's way in this job and some, not some other. God looks for faithfulness. And what followed them was a wee discussion about blooming where you are planted. And one of the ladies, of course, very uh, kindly quipped up and said, well, that's Sunday morning's subject sorted. Now, none of the ladies around the table knew what was in my mind, but the Lord knew. Because what was in my mind was one word, and that was the word planted. And did you know there are 41 references to the word planted in the Bible? Genesis 2 and 8 is the first reference. The Lord God planted a garden. There's the law of first reference. The true and the living God took the initiative in free grace and in sovereign mercy to plant a garden in Eden for the benefit of Adam and Eve. Think of the last reference in the Bible to the word planted. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. Paul says, this is what he told the Corinthians, I have planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord gives the increase. Now, if you look at our text very closely, it mentions the word planted in verse 5, and planted it in a fruitful field. Come down to verse 8. It was planted in a good soil by great waters. Here's some more of the word planted. And if you look at verse 10, it says, Yea, behold, being planted shall it prosper. So three references out of the 41 are found here in Ezekiel chapter 17. Now, I have to tell you this morning, I'm not going to deal with the immediate context of uh, Ezekiel 17. There's a riddle here in this parable that I'm actually not going to explain. It has to do, of course, with the children of Israel being planted in and prospering in the land of Canaan and then being plucked out of that land by the Babylonians. And I'm not dealing with that this morning. I'm only dealing with the concept or the idea of blooming where you are planted. Now, we're going to ask the question, what does that phrase mean? Blooming where you're planted. Here's another question. Is it biblical at all? And here's another question. Where can you find it in the Bible? So there's our theme for today. Blooming where you are planted. Now I've got three things that I want to share with you. First of all, the subject that it is to be surveyed. If you look at our text, it says, And planted it in a fruitful Failed. It says in verse 8, it was planted in a good soil by great waters. Verse 10, yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper. Now, I believe this morning that the sentiment of this phrase, blooming where you're planted, 
is found in the Bible. Unfortunately, the exact statement or the exact phrase is not found. There's no such phrase blooming where you're planted in the Bible. You can search the law of the prophets. You can search the writings, Psalms and Proverbs, the wisdom literature. Search the gospel. Search the letters of Paul. You'll not find it. Check a concordance. You'll not find it. You see, this phrase, blooming where you're planted, is a colloquial phrase. It's a bit like footprints in the sand. You'll not find that in the Bible. Or cleanliness is next to godliness. That's a colloquial phrase, but it's not actually found in the Bible. And yet, even though the exact statement is not found in the Bible, the sentiment of that phrase is found in the Scriptures. The Bible is full of reflection. The Bible is full of references that teach this very sentiment. And there's many illustrations. There's many allusions to this, especially in the world of agriculture and the world of horticulture. You see, the Bible is full of agricultural wisdom. So, so the statement, bloom where you're planted, while it's not found exactly in the Bible as far as the exact wording is concerned, the sentiment can be inferred. The sentiment can be deduced from reference and illustration. Think again of verse 10. Yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper. We could have entitled the message, Prospering Where You're Planted. It's the same thing. Now, what does it mean? You see, that little statement, bloom where you're planted, is rich and full of meaning. It means being fruitful in the place where God has placed you. Do you believe that there's a place that God has for you? But remember what the psalmist was able to say in Psalm 92 and in the verse 13. In Psalm 92 and verse 13, we read in the word of God this particular phrase. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Flourishing here in the house of God as a child of God. So be fruitful in the place where God has placed you. God has a place for you and God wants you to be fruitful and flourish. It also means make the best of your life situation by way of duty and responsibility. In other words, do what you can in the best way that you can and do it all whatsoever you do to the glory of God. That's another aspect. And of course, it also means continue to grow, continue to make progress. Think about spirituality, sticking with it, continuing even when it's hard. It, 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 it means even when a curveball hits you, or when life sucks, or, or when life throws lemons at you, you continue to grow, continue to make progress, stick with it, continue, even though it's hard. It also means in God's hand and plan, every situation as it comes up in life is preparing you for the next stage of the journey. And ultimately it means that you grow and develop, being pruned in order to reflect the glory and the grace and the goodness of Christ. 
as Lord and Savior. You see, remember what the Bible exhorts us. Second Peter chapter two, and in the verse, Second Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And He also says in Second Peter these words in Second Peter chapter one, verse five. And besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith seven things: virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Listen to this. For if these things be in you, they make you, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're sitting listening to me this morning, and you're thinking in your mind, maybe it's something that you've expressed in your lip. But you don't really understand my situation. You're telling me to bloom where I'm planted. And you're telling me to be fruitful and make the best of a life situation where I'm at. You're telling me to continue to grow and make progress. You you mean that I'm in God's hand and in God's plan. And God is preparing me for the next stage of the journey. And you want me to grow and to develop and be pruned in order to reflect the glory and grace and goodness of Christ. But, But you don't understand my situation. My family's dysfunctional. My marriage has fallen apart. My friend has cheated on me. I'm lonely. I'm fearful. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. I don't have any real friends. My relationships with others are toxic. My job is stressful. Or maybe it's I can't find a job. And the news in the world is depressing with war in Ukraine and Russia and now in the Middle East. So few want to attend church. You see, it's no longer cool to attend the house of God. And you're telling me, despite my situation in life, that I must aim to bloom where God has planted me? The answer is yes. It applies to home life. It applies to church life. It applies to life in the country. Maybe we should ask this question. Where did the sentiment originate? You see, these words, Bloom Where You Were Planted, were uh, wrote into a book uh, written by an artist. The book was called Art and Artist, an American graphic artist by a lady called Mary Engelbright. It was also broadcast on radio Uh, by a man called Paul Harvey, another American broadcaster. But before that, long before that, listen to this. The Bishop of Geneva, a man called St. Francis de Saul, 1567 to 1622, this is what he wrote. True Christianity has no limit for the love of God poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Dwelling in each one of us, calling us into a life of devotion and activity until we blossom in the garden where God has planted us and is directing us to radiate the beauty of Christ providentially. If I put that into a pot and boil it up, it's this. Be content with your calling and in the place where God has put you. 
And in that place of your calling where God has put you, make the most of every opportunity to shine for him. See, remember Sam Houston came and sang at the mission, you in your small corner and I in mine. God has a corner for you and God has a corner for me. And in that corner, we're to shine for Christ. The question is this, are you in Christ? Are you really growing in grace and in the knowledge of him? Do you know him? Do you realize that you've been planted in him? By him, planted in his life, in his death, in his resurrection? Isn't that what Paul was emphasizing there in the book of Romans? In Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, he says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, in Christ, your life is like a seed that has been planted. Or your life is like a tree that has been planted in a field. The Bible talks about the trees of the Lord being full of sap. The Bible tells us there in the book of Jeremiah, uh, listen to these words, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be like, he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. If you're in Christ, you're like a tree. The Bible says, here's Ezekiel using the same imagery, using the same simile. He uses that of a, a willow tree. He uses that of a vine. Remember, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt by the power of the blood. He planted Israel like a vine in the land of Canaan, in a, in a fruitful field, in good soil, by, by rivers of great water, in order to bloom, in order to prosper. Are you in Christ this morning? Do you realize that God has called you to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ? Have you tasted of a spirit of contentment? The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Or, or do you pain for something else? Something more, something different? Remember you're being, in, in a sense, consecrated unto God. And our life is to be spent looking to him. Our life is to be spent beholding him. He has planted us so that we could radiate the beauty of Christ to all around us. And you keep looking to him and beholding him even when life is hard, even when life sucks. That's the meaning. It's not mentioned in the scriptures, but the sentiment is there. Be fruitful where you are. Be all that you've been created to be as you've been born again. Husband, wife, a student, a deacon, an elder, a minister, a worshiper, a worker. Believe in him. By burying yourself in him. Strive for the best that he has for you. Focused on being rooted in him. Be prepared to grow. Seek every opportunity. That's the sentiment that needs to be surveyed. The second thing is this. The servants are to sow. Bloom where you're planted. I want you to think of a sower. You see, ultimately God is the master sower. God is the master farmer. God is the master gardener. Genesis 2 verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And under him we are like farmers. 
Under him we are like gardeners. Under him we're the sowers. See, every believer's meant to be a farmer. Did you know that? You're meant to be a sower of seed. You're meant to be a gardener that, that tends to the flowers and the vine. As far as your life is concerned, as far as the place where God has put you is concerned, and every place where God has put you, you will have an opportunity to sow the good seed of the gospel. And you'll not be sowing yourself, you'll be sowing with others. Because there's a diversity of sowers. There's a team. And together everyone achieves more. And, and, and as the sowers work together, there's a spirit of unity for it's for the same goal. It's the glory of God. It's the growth and well-being of the work of God. Isn't it wonderful to know that God uses human instruments? Hasn't God been using the Reverend Higginson this past um, number of nights when he's come amongst us Sunday week ago to speak a word in the gospel? And you've been challenged as well as been blessed. You see, God uses people to do his will and to do his work. Remember Paul, I have planted. You see, Paul knew there's no spiritual bloom if you don't plant. And in order to plant, there has to be the sower. We have to follow God's example. And he said, I have planted. It wasn't a boast. He wasn't being brazen. He wasn't being um, brash or, or bolstering his own self-achievement or self-accomplishment. No, no, he said, I have planted. That was true, literally. He planted the word of God in Corinth. It was true spiritually. The Christian life is a life of planting and sowing. The church life is a life of planting and sowing. The life in the country is a life of planting and sowing. The Apostle Paul added this in Corinthians, you're God's husbandry. What does that mean? The word husbandry means tillage or, or farmers, if we use the colloquial term. And, and your life and mine, the life of the church is like a, a piece of ground. It's like a field and the field needs to be plowed. It needs to be worked. You think of Corinth as a city when Paul came to it. A city full of culture, but a city full of corruption. A place of sin and much degradation. Nothing new in that. Sin has been around from the beginning. Romans 5 and 12. And Corinth was a place of much sin. Material luxury, yes. Trade, yes. Commerce. The economy was booming. A place of poverty, but also an immoral cesspit of iniquity and immorality. And along comes Paul. And what does Paul bring to this city? He brings the message of the gospel. A message of hope. A message of life. A message of truth. And when Paul preached, do you know what? He wasn't welcome. He wasn't wanted. And how did he come into that city? Oh, he faced great hostility. Did you know that? He faced much opposition. He came in fear and trembling. He tells us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in the verses 1 to 4, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellent speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Here's a man coming into Corinth and he's full of fear. It gripped his heart and he had to let go of his fear. If you read Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10, God told him, be not afraid. 
You see, he was full of fear in this city. And yet here, he stayed for a year and a half. And here he blossomed where he planted. And he carried on and continued and took the opportunity. And a door was opened. And as he let go of his fear and not be controlled by it, he sowed the good seed of the kingdom. Let me ask this, and I asked it lovingly. Are you and I sowers in the place where God has put us? In your home? In your workplace? Your school? Your university? Or is your life full of fear? Is your heart and mind gripped and controlled by fear? You need to let it go. Because if you don't let it go, you'll not be a good sower. Paul says, I have planted. Can you say, I have planted the good seed of the word of God? Think not only of the sower this morning, but think of the seed. You see, when Paul came to Corinth, what did he plant in Corinth? He planted the message of a crucified risen Savior. And that's tremendous that we remember that. Because the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And what did he preach? He preached Christ and him crucified. But we preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, Romans uh, tells us there in Romans chapter 1 and in the verse um, 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, that is written, the just shall live by faith. See, Paul didn't lose his focus. What did he preach? Christ crucified. A few Fridays ago when I was down at Martyrs Memorial, I was thinking of the pulpit. I was thinking of those words, we preach Christ crucified. Late Dr. Paisley always made a beeline for the cross, a beeline for Christ. See, no other message. Christ is the answer. We dare not substitute the gospel for something else. Neither culture or politics or um, sociology or, or, or even the aspect of, of slavery that was there in the first century world. A beeline to Christ is still the same. And far too many Christians have been sidetracked. Far too many preachers have been sidetracked. They have lost their focus. And they've got taken up with the politics of the day. And they've got taken up with current affairs. And you see, the politic of the day, the current affairs, the things that are happening... They must be all seen and studied through the lens of the gospel. They're not, they're not to be viewed and studied as entities in their own selves. They're always to be seen through the lens of the gospel. Because we never can escape the crosswork of Christ. Now let me ask the question, when did you last speak a word for Christ? When did you last witness for him? When did you last invite a soul to come? Now, some of you have been very busy and you have invited souls to come to the gospel mission. And that is tremendous. And I want to encourage you to keep it up. And I want you to keep on asking them to come even after the mission is over. Remember the seed is Christ. Remember the seed is the word of God. And that's what you want to plant in people's hearts and minds so that it's watered by the Spirit. There's a sower. The servants are to sow. There's a sower. There's a seed. I'll tell you something else. There's a strategy. How do you sow? Well, you sow it in the field, in good soil, beside great waters. 
You, you sow a sapling of a tree and you, you want to see it grow and nurtured. That's, that's a literal sense. But let's think about a spiritual sense. How do you sow the seed spiritually? Let, let me tell you. By your life. Because in Christ you have died to sin. If any man um, names the name of Christ, let him depart from iniquity. You've died to self. You've no sense of entitlement. It's a life of self-denial. What does it matter what the world says or thinks? I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what the word of God says. You see, that's the man or the woman or the young person that the Lord uses. Whenever Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones died and was buried, this is what they wrote on his tombstone. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that was his ministry in Westminster. Christ and him crucified. By your life, by your lip. God is speaking through your lips. And sadly today the church is silent. And so many, many issues. The church is irrelevant in the eyes of the world. Powerless. Take no notice of it. We need to rediscover. We need to rediscover our voice. And speak up for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Speak up for truth and righteousness. And how are we to do that? In the power of the Spirit. So not only by our life of self-denial and putting away sin. But by our lips we sow. By our labor, we get involved. We, we work in the field. It's hard work, as we thought about last week. Think of the field. You have to plow it up. You have to rotate. You have to harrow. It has to gather the stones out. You have to get the roots out. Then you have to prepare the soil for the seed. You have to actually sow the seed. You see, it's all about time. It's all about tiredness. It's all about tears. It's all about um, money and, and hard work. And, and we get involved. And, and how many are not involved in the house of God. And if we're going to see the house of God flourish and these seats filled up, then, then you have got to be involved with your labor and work together as a team. Could I suggest another way? By your lolly. I'm not thinking about a nice lolly. I'm thinking about money. Uh, over there in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9 and verse uh, 6, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says this, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap even bountifully. In other words, there has to be a liberality in giving to the work of God. I've told you before, and I say it humbly, it takes, according to the financial committee of the presbytery, about 50,000 alone just to run the house of God. Remember the tithe belongs to the Lord. Remember what Malachi the messenger was sent to preach to the people in his day in Malachi chapter 3 and in the verse 10. Uh, listen to the word of God. It's speaking about the tithe. Uh, this is what he says. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Alan was doing the Sunday school again this morning, and he was illustrating to the children about the temple tax, the half shekel that every Jew was required to pay for the upkeep of the temple. You see, God's work needs that liberality of spirit. 
The Lord's work in that sense needs your contribution, your help. If you're going to be an effective witness, and if we're going to have a program of reaching carried up for Christ, and we want to see one family come out of each of the housing estate or each of the roads in which they live, then you and I must, by the grace of God, use our life. Because the ungodly will look at us, they might read their Bible, but they'll look at us and they'll say, well, if that's Christianity for you, you want nothing to do with it. And you and I must use our lips. Not not only let Christ be seen, but but let Christ be heard through us. And we must labor to bring to them the gospel. And we must give liberality of our time and our tithe and our talent to the work of God. Is it possible that that could happen? I believe it is. With God's help. Also, let me suggest by your Lord, he supplies the opportunity. You pray every day for a fresh opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Let the Lord open the door. And as he opens the door and creates a way, then you use that opportunity. And remember, he's not only using you, he's using all of us together. We don't believe in a one-man ministry. What we say to our dear friends who are brethren, we don't believe in a one-man ministry. We have a whole team of people involved. There's diversity and opportunity. And the Lord calls us to work together. Wasn't there a team around Paul? Well, there's a team around us. Different men, different women, different young people, all mentioned by Paul. And the Lord uses them, giving them opportunity, uses them together, unifies them with one goal and purpose. And sovereignly, he designs and purposes to use these people to achieve as well. That's the strategy that we need. Now, a third thought is this. Not only the... uh, sentiment that is surveyed and not only the um, sower that is to sow or the servant that is to sow but think of the supply that is special this seed this sapling willow tree was planted in a fruitful field in great soil the bible tells us by great waters now think of this it's not what the word of god tells us And he carried also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree, and it grew. It says in verse 8, it was planted in a good soil by great waters, that it might bring forth branches. Verse 10, yea, behold, being planted shall it prosper. The supply that is special. If we're going to be blooming where we're planted, then remember the supply that is special. Just a few thoughts in closing. The plant is fixed. Isn't it wonderful to be firmly fixed and rooted in Christ? Colossians 2, 6 talks about being rooted and built up in him. But you have to be in him. You have to be planted by him. And remember, every plant that he has not planted, one day he will root up and he'll take it away and he cast it into the fire. The plant is fixed by him. Is that true in your life? Secondly, the plant is fed. Where is it planted? It's planted in good soil by great waters. The plant is properly watered. There's irrigation. There's an equal amount of water for each plant. There's a, a continuous amount of water for each plant. In other words, this is a continuous supply of water. How does it happen that the plant grows? Well, it's not visible to the naked eye, is it? 
The life of the plant depends on its root. The root's in the soil. The soil is good soil. The soil is watered. The sun shines. And of course then the plant grows. And what is true literally is true spiritually. Watered by the grace of God. Through the word of God. By the spirit of God. And he takes it and causes the child of God to grow in grace. And in the knowledge of Christ. He he causes the individual to become awakened to his need of Christ. And that individual as a babe then is nourished and fed by the very same way, the grace, the word, the spirit of God. Think about the plant being fruitful. Fruit in a season. Isn't there a a, a wonderful thought there about being fruitful? The fruit of soul winning, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of giving. There's so many aspects to that. The plant is planted in a fixed place, and is fed, that it might be fruitful. Bringing forth fruit in a season, abounding and growing. The fruit flourishing. The leaves are green. It speaks of life. There's the nature of the plant in the tree. It it grows into something that's beautiful, something that's useful, something that draws the birds in. The branches are, are, are so thick that the birds want the nest there. See, you've got to think of the plant flourishing. And I want you to think finally the plant firm. The wind blows. The storm comes. There's a time of drought. There's the absence of rain. And that is true in the literal sense. It's true in a spiritual sense. In the Christian life there's times of trials. There's days of betrayal. There's months and maybe even years of dearth. And that can be true in the youth. That can be true unto old age. And yet what do we do? The plant that's fixed to be fed that is fruitful and flourishing, it's firm. It stays with Christ. It continues to draw on him. It continues to grow in him. Here's the supply that is special. And I just asked in closing, do you know anything of the grace of God coming to you day by day? Has the word of God taken root in your heart and mind so you're blessed and strengthened? whether in the home as a housewife or whether in the factory floor or down in the farm or or wherever you are out and about? Has the Spirit of God been producing fruit in your life, the fruit of holiness, soul winning, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of giving, and it's all produced not by you but by the Spirit of God in and through you? I pray this morning we'll remember this little thought, blooming where you're planted. And God has planted you here in this church. He planted you in Christ that you could bloom for his glory. Remember this sentiment. Survey it in your mind. Think of the sower, the seed, and the strategy. And remember the supply that will help you to flourish and be fruitful. Because you're in Christ. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us this morning.